For those of you who are visiting, my name is Clay Warner. I have the joy of being an assistant pastor here um, with the goal of uh, planting a church on the west side. Our senior pastor, Hal Farnsworth, is away this weekend, spending um, some much-needed time with family. And uh, so I will uh, be bringing the word to us this morning. Uh, I want to say this just before we get started and and look at Scripture and begin our Advent season. I want to give you an encouragement, um, and then I want to give you a very strong warning. Uh, First, the encouragement. The first thing is that tonight, uh, the church plant, um, Good Shepherd Presbyterian Church, we meet on the west side of town. Uh, We've been having a Bible study every Sunday night from 5 to 6.15 p.m., At the end of every month, we have a time of worship together where we actually have uh, a full service. It's a fun time of fellowship together and worship. And uh, we like to invite everyone. Uh, So if you'd love to come tonight and worship alongside of us, it doesn't obligate you to come to the church plant. Uh, It's encouraging for others to come and see what we're doing so that you can be praying for us. Uh, So it's Athens Christian Church. It's on the west side of town off of Oglethorpe at 1200 Forest Heights Drive from 5 to 6.15 p.m., Uh, if you would like to join us there. Uh, So the warning, and the strong warning at that, that I have to give you this morning, is uh, it is the first Sunday of Advent, and a very traumatic thing happened to me a few years back on the first Sunday of Advent. I had just hired a youth pastor. I was a senior pastor in South Carolina. Some of you have heard the story. And uh, so he came, and we did it similar to the way we do it here, where others kind of lead worship, and then the pastor gets up and preaches. Well, we had just hired a youth pastor, a wonderful guy, a great friend of mine, and uh, he had sat down from leading worship. I had gotten up to preach, and it was the first Sunday of Advent. It was his first Sunday as a pastor at the church, and all of a sudden, I hear this pop. We have these huge dome or uh, high kind of cathedral ceilings, and I hear this pop, and nobody knows what it was. About five minutes into the sermon, uh, you heard this flash and another pop, and then a 500-watt um, glass-encased bulb falls from the ceiling. And so the youth pastor was sitting right in its target, and uh, he looks up, and to, uh, to get out of its path, he quickly moves his head forward into a pew, and, uh, and he looks at me while I'm preaching and goes, Clay, I don't have any teeth. He had knocked all of his teeth out. Um, all of his front teeth. And uh, so there he is. He goes, oh, I don't have any teeth. And uh, so there are his teeth on the ground. And uh, no one's passing out right now. That's all I'm going to keep it at. And so I said, you know, is there a doctor? Or is there a, a, a nurse or a dentist here? And, and there were. So they all came. And, and I go down, are, are you okay, John? Are you okay? And, and so he says, no, but I'll be okay. And um, he's missing all of his front teeth. And uh, there they are on the ground. I asked if someone could pick those up, please. And like appendages that they could put, at, put back on later. I don't know. Um, and so anyway, I don't know what to say. They don't teach you these things in seminary uh, classes. And so all I could think of to say amidst all of me being nervous was, well, I guess Christmas is all about the light coming down. Just not like that. Uh, and I really wanted to say, well, now we know what's, what's at the top of his Christmas list. But I kept it. And so the next Sunday we came in and we wore hard hats as we walked into the service. I kid you not, we did. And so I was, I, I was going to ask Kristen this week to send out an email warning all of you uh, that you need to wear hard hats this morning because dangerous things happen on the first day of Advent. But Because uh, the, the youth pastor, we've become good friends, and he goes, don't worry, Clay, one day you'll get your comeuppance. And, uh, and so I, I'm scared on the first Sunday of Advent. So if you see me like fearfully looking around for lights... Now you know why. 
enough said. Um, we're going to be turning to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1. If you want to turn there, it's also uh, in your bulletins this morning. We're going to start our Advent uh, series this week. And the, what I'm going to preach on today, and then what Hal's going to preach on leading up to Christmas, is Christmas from the Apostle Paul's perspective. Um, we've heard a lot of sermons on Matthew and Luke Um, wonderful descriptions of what happened on Christmas Day when Jesus was born and even everything leading up to it and after it. Uh, But it's also good for us to remember that that that's not the only place where um, the incarnation of the Son of God is mentioned. Paul often talks about it, and uh, he talks about it somewhat here implicitly uh, in our text, but we'll get to why uh, he's mentioning it here and the importance of it for us as we go forward, but it's in your bulletins. Uh, let's give our hearts attention to the reading of God's Word from 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. The reading of God's Word, let's pray. Father, this is a wonderful text. You have used it throughout the history of your people to give new life to those who were dead in sin, uh, to give new life to those who had been rebels, like Paul, the Apostle Paul, like others throughout church history, like me, like many here in this room. Uh, The assurance that you're a God of grace has led us graciously to your heart to ask for forgiveness, to ask for rescue. And so, Father, would you come by your Spirit this morning and point us to the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ, who loved us so much that he came into the world to save sinners. So, Father, would you do that as we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin uh, by pointing us back, maybe pressing rewind, uh, just for a little while, and go back to 1993. Uh, one of the things that happened in 1993, this time of year, it was December 12th, was that three men, one captain and two crewmen, left on a ship, a large ship called uh, the Malachite, um, with a load that they needed to take out, not only to deliver somewhere, but on the way back they were going to do uh, some fishing, bring in a haul of fish. And as they got out, they were 400 miles off the coast of North Carolina. And as they got out there, a huge storm swole up, Uh, Winds over 120 miles an hour. Waves that reached over 90 feet tall. And here are these men at that time of the year. Obviously, not only is the wind cold, but the water is freezing as well. Uh, And what they realize is they go down below deck. They realize that the ship is bringing on water. And they realize it's coming on fast enough that they're going to be sinking. And so they send out a distress call knowing that there's no hope unless someone comes from above and comes down and rescues them. Uh, well, they're so far out that no one can get to them quickly, but the Coast Guard sends a C-130 uh, to go circle around, see where they are, locate them, identify them, and one after one after one, the C-130 drops a life raft from the air, trying to get it to land next to the boat so they can get in. Ten life rafts they dropped. And not a single one gets close. So what they realize is now they have to call a helicopter. And uh, they've got to come out. But the operational range at that time 
was 400 miles for these rescue helicopters from the Coast Guard. Three men, uh, two pilots and one rescue swimmer, um, are called up for this task. And again, they're 400 miles out, and the operational range is 400 miles. So will they be able to fly somewhere else to land and get fuel and then come all the way back stateside? But here they are in this terrible situation. And the question is, when they're in that kind of danger, and they're in that kind of difficulty, will someone answer the call to move towards that disastrous situation? Or will they run away? One of the things I want to look at this morning is that difficulty and disappointment often reveal what's most deeply in our hearts. Because here comes times, listen, especially during the holidays, especially when you're around your your weird uncle or your strange nephews and nieces, whoever, whoever it is. Sometimes the holidays can be great. Sometimes they're hard. Not just with maybe the people or the family that you have to hang out with, but some of the, the friends that you hang out with, or maybe with some of the opportunities that come up where you have the opportunity to serve. Maybe you know it's going to be a, a tough situation. It's going to require a lot of time and sacrifice from you. And, and the question is for those guys who got in that helicopter, is it worth it? Is it worth the risk and the danger on their hand to move towards that situation? Or should they just stay? And for us, as as these times of difficulty open up what's really in our hearts, do we move towards those people that are difficult and disappointing? Do we move towards those situations that are difficult or disappointing? Or do we, as quickly as we can, run in the opposite direction? Listen, the reason why this is so important is here in this text in 1 Timothy... Paul is writing to a young pastor, and he knows three things. He knows that the context of where Timothy is a pastor is extremely difficult. When Timothy walks out his front door, he sees on a hill the temple of Artemis. And what we know about Ephesus where Timothy was, was it was a hard culture, a difficult culture, filled not only with idolatry, but with rampant immorality, And you can almost wonder if every single day a little bit of hope in Timothy wore out saying, this is just impossible. And not only that, what we find out, not only that things were difficult outside his church, but things are difficult inside the church. There are people that are just causing him disappointment, difficulty. They're taking away his time and his energy. And Paul mentions all these things somewhat in the first few verses of this epistle. And what's fascinating early on is he says, here's the other thing I know, Timothy. That you're human just like I'm human. And when those times of difficulty come or stay in your mind too long, you start checking out flights to Hawaii. Start checking out flights to maybe California, somewhere to get away from this. That's why in verse 3 of chapter 1, Paul says right off the bat when he's writing Timothy, Timothy, as I said when I was going to Macedonia, I urge you to remain in Ephesus. I think the reason that Paul said that is he knew that it was getting difficult enough and disappointing enough that Timothy was about ready to run away. 
That word there that Paul uses there, I urge you to remain, uh, was a word that was often used by generals in war when their troops would start running in the opposite direction and they would say, hold the line, stay in. And that's what Paul is saying. I urge you to stay, to move toward the difficult situation, toward the difficult person. And the way that he encourages him, the way that he motivates him, is by reminding Timothy of Christmas. Just to read it again, right after he says all these things about what Timothy is enduring and the kinds of people that he's interacting with, all of a sudden Paul says this, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. In other words, the theme for this morning is that Paul is calling not just Timothy, but God is calling all of us to let our hearts be so filled with this Christmas kind of love so that a Christmas kind of love would flow from us. Let our hearts be so filled with a Christmas kind of love that uh, out of our hearts would flow that same kind of Christmas love. That Christmas isn't just a paradigm for us to love to serve, to sacrifice, but it's also a power for us to move into those difficult situations. What I want to do is take a look at the three phrases that are mentioned here and help us explain and understand what happened at Christmas and why Jesus came. Notice the first thing that Paul says here. He says, Christ Jesus came. Now listen, if there's anybody that could delegate what needed to be done in the universe, it's God himself. There's quite a few of the creatures that he's created that maybe one of them could do something for him. And the reason I say that is because often when we're faced with a difficult situation, a difficult context, a disappointing person, whoever it may be, and for some of you that might be a family member, it might be a spouse, it might be a child, it might be a parent, it might be a friend, it might be a coworker, it might be someone in your classroom. Here's this difficult situation that arises. Our tendency is to want to run in the opposite direction by delegating responsibility. It's one of the first things we do. Is there someone else that could do this? Because I don't. Here's one of the first ways it could look like for Timothy. And not just delegating responsibility to enter into the difficulty, but just rejecting that responsibility outright. In some ways, we could sympathize with Timothy as he might hear him talking to Paul and say, Paul, if, if you only knew how difficult my situation was, if you only knew the, the, the disappointments that come one after another so long that wear my soul down, you wouldn't tell me to stay like this. So that's one of the first things we can do is just just reject responsibility to move towards that situation or person that sometimes might be difficult. Or we can begin to say, well, I don't have time. I I got a Christmas tree to buy. I got gifts to buy. I got presents to wrap. I got classwork to do. I got tests to take. I got money to make. I got a thousand things I need to do, so I have an excuse that my schedule is so full that I can just avoid you and not move towards you or the situation when it gets difficult. Or we can do what uh, sociologists call a diffusion of responsibility. Well, there's seven billion other people in this world. One of them can do it for me. One of the things that we see in Scripture 
is over and over and over, it warns us, it warns me and it warns you against your natural proneness to selfishness. That's why in Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, do not look after only your own interests. He knows that's the impulse in my heart. He says, don't look after only your own interests, but also the interests of others. Because if you forget that, we make life all about us. I make life all about me. You make life all about you. And so when a situation comes up and we don't want to enter in, and it's an opportunity to serve, but we don't want to serve. It's an opportunity to move towards someone or some situation that's been difficult and hard. We just say, no. I don't want to do that. One of the wonderful things about the gospel and one of the wonderful things about Christmas is that when Paul says here, Christ Jesus came, it means that God didn't delegate the most difficult of tasks to anyone else. It's Christ Jesus who came. He didn't avoid responsibility. He didn't reject responsibility. He didn't assume that someone else would do it. It says Christ Jesus came. And the first word there, Christ Messiah, anointed one. He's the one that was anointed and empowered for the specific task for rescuing sinners like us. And not only that, if you remember how Jesus got the name Jesus at Christmas, the angel comes in Matthew's gospel and talks to Joseph. He says, when you name your son, give him the name Jesus. Why? He will save his people. From their sin. And so here, here's this Messiah, this long hoped for Messiah, the one who would come and rescue God's people. And Paul is saying, He came. At Christmas, He came. Now, here's the deal one of the things that we assume is that the greater authority that you have equals the greater ability for you to delegate any responsibility that you might have that would lead towards difficulty. Something's difficult, well, I have a lot of authority, so I can delegate that to someone else. Uh, Listen, it'd almost be like this. Let's say that here are these men out in the ocean, uh, their ship is going down, there's no hope, there's no one else around for hundreds of miles. But all of a sudden, here comes this Coast Guard uh, rescue helicopter. They meet them way out in the middle of nowhere, And here comes the rescue swimmer coming down to rescue these guys, and all of a sudden they notice it's the President of the United States. Uh, Their first response would probably be like, what are you doing here? You're too important for this. You're the President. People like you don't do menial tasks like this to rescue nobodies like us. And in a sense, we have to understand that, yes, it may work in the world where it's the greater authority you have, the greater ability you have to delegate things. But in the divine economy, that is not the case. The greater authority you have, the greater responsibility that you have to serve. And so, in the gospel, the divine economy is this. It's the most high who becomes the most low. It's the one who is infinite that takes upon himself finitude. It's the king who here, not only in Paul's passage that we're looking at here, but also throughout all the Gospels, it's the king who becomes the servant. 
And so as Christmas comes to us, it reminds us that, that Christ himself did not uh, delegate responsibility when it entailed moving into great and extreme difficulty. And so Paul is sitting here saying, Timothy, just listen, I know you want to run. Jesus didn't. In fact, the harder our hearts became, the more darkened our minds were, the faster and quicker he came to get close to us. Timothy, stay. Christ Jesus came. So here, just this is the first aspect to say, let that Christmas kind of love fill you. And then that kind of Christmas love will flow from you. That here you are in need of rescue, and he did not delegate responsibility to anyone else. He took it to come and to rescue you. So Christ Jesus came. Notice secondly how Paul says it, that Christ Jesus came into the world. Now when he says world here, he doesn't just mean geographically. Like, wow, isn't Asheville beautiful? You've got all the mountains, all those things that are incredible. Um, all the rivers, all the mountains in North Georgia. Um, Athens is a pretty town in some places. A lot of places, okay? Um, all these geographical places. Christ Jesus came into the world. Isn't that awesome? That's not the world Paul's talking about. Um, or it's the, uh, it's the old song. Remember the Michael Jackson song? They sung it with a, a ton of different artists with lots of kids in the background from all different um, nations. We are the world. Anybody going to sing along? Okay, I won't sing anymore. We are the children, right? And it's from all over the world, okay? All these different ethnicities, all these different races, okay? Somewhat of what Paul's getting at, not really. It's not just, well, Jesus came into the world where there's a lot of different people from a lot of different places and a lot of different traditions and histories, He's not using the term world geographically. He's not using the term world ethnically. He's using the term world morally. He's saying Christ Jesus came into the world. A world that was in rebellion against its king. A world that had postured itself so that when that king came, they would try to kill him. Ultimately, he succeeds. And Paul knows as he's talking to Timothy, he says, listen, Timothy, I know you're human, just like me, and we all desire, sometimes we demand, personal comfort. We just, we just want to be comfortable. We don't want to have to experience hardship, difficulty, disappointment, and we definitely won't intentionally move towards it. If we have to go through it, fine, but I will not intentionally move towards it. We don't like to use too much of our time uh, to enter into difficulty, too much of our, our money, uh, too much of our efforts, our energy, whatever it is, we love our personal comfort. Paul's saying, I know. But Timothy, there's things that you need to enter into. And you have to remember Christmas if you are going to do that. Let's just pause and step back and go back out to uh, 400 miles out off the coast of the U.S., here are these guys. Their ship is sinking. Uh, the place that they're sinking is affectionately known as the graveyard of the Atlantic because so many ships have sunk there and so many people have died there. And here come these men, these three men, in the helicopter, Coast Guard rescue helicopter, coming to save them. Again, 120-mile-an-hour winds, 90-foot waves. And listen, 
the rescue swimmer who was there, the pilot said, listen, these are some of the worst conditions we've ever seen. And the other thing that combined to make it a hard situation was this guy was a rookie. He had never been on a rescue mission before. He had just graduated from Coast Guard Rescue Swimming School. And they gave him an option. They said, this situation is difficult. We don't know how much fuel we have left. We can just write this up and say it was too difficult. We had to come back. Fuel was running low. It's better to lose three men than six. You can call it right now if you want to. And if you were the Coast Guard rescue swimmer, what would you have said? Yes, please. Um, man, I tell you what, I got some. I just chopped some firewood back home. Get a nice fire going. Um, uh, you know, Starbucks has some good uh, hot chocolate. Of course, I guess we don't go to Starbucks because of the cup. No, I'm just kidding. That's a crazy controversy. Um, maybe it's Hinder Shots or Sims, okay, um, or Sips. But uh, I, I want some hot chocolate. That's the way I would respond. Um, because I want to be personally comfortable. There's no way I'm going to risk my time, my energy, my life, my money, just to enter into a difficult situation or life with a difficult person. Please take me home. We tend to distance ourselves from difficulty, not just delegating responsibility, but here's a few ways that we do it. Sometimes we don't even know it. When it comes to friendships, we play favorites with people like us and who make life easy for us. People who make us laugh a lot, people that we have a good time with. If you make my life difficult just enough, and wherever the threshold is, I don't know, but once you get that point, I will start avoiding you. I will not text you back. I will not return your phone calls. If I see you physically somewhere, I will quickly try to go somewhere where you cannot see me. Okay? We try to pick friends that we know that we're going to get along with and are not going to make life hard for us. Let me tell you, anybody you interact with is a sinner. There are going to be times that come up, it's a difficult situation, a difficult part of the relationship, and will you move towards or will you move away? Or that classic thing that we do when there's an opportunity to serve that comes up, especially this time of year at Christmas, when all throughout Athens and other places in Georgia or wherever you may go to for the holidays, an opportunity comes up, hey, We got this opportunity for you to serve. It's a great opportunity. It's going to be on a Saturday during a Georgia game. We know that's all right with you. Um, And what's everybody do when someone asks uh, for people to serve? Don't make eye contact. I'm not looking at you. You can't look at me, right? Just avoid, okay? Uh, You you can't pick me. I didn't look at you, okay? But if you make eye contact immediately, like, hey, why don't you help out? Nope. We avoid eye contact because we want to distance ourselves from difficulty. And Paul can understand this. He knows what Timothy has gone through. He's gone through some of it himself. But he's reminding Timothy, listen, when you see that difficulty outside, when you see that difficulty inside the church, when you see that difficulty inside your own relationships, and it's hard for you to even think about moving in and moving towards, remember that Christ Jesus came and then you'll stay. See, when it says that Christ Jesus came into the world, we have to remember that, yes, there were some shepherds who were pretty afraid, but pretty excited. There was Mary and Joseph. They were pretty overwhelmed to be used by God for this huge deal that was happening. There were some angels, a multitude upon multitudes. But the vast number of people at that time were either ignorant of his coming, 
indifferent to it. That's why it's kind of like they go around to different ends to see if there's a place where they could stay. And it's kind of like, no way. Who are you? And if someone asks them, who is that? Nobody. Right? It's a world that was indifferent to him. It's a world that was ignorant of him. And it's a world, what we see at Christmas, and this is where we tend to forget, that was absolutely violent towards him. You remember what Herod did? He heard that another king was coming into the world. Uh, He was being born. What's he do? Slaughter all the boys. You have to remember that at Christmas, one of the noises that was heard was not just the merrymaking of the shepherds and everyone else. It was the weeping of mothers who had lost their little boys. Because King Herod had ordered that they all be destroyed. Jesus knew that was the world he would enter. And he had every ability, every opportunity to say no and distance himself from the difficulty. And he didn't. Christ Jesus came into the world knowingly lovingly, intentionally, undergoing all of its hatred because He loves me and He loved you. Christ Jesus came into the world at Christmas. He moved towards the difficulty, not away from it. And again, what we have to say is when you're filled with that kind of Christmas love, a Christmas kind of love, will flow from you. You'll be the kind of person that doesn't delegate responsibility and avoid it and run away from difficulty. You'll jump right in. One of the interesting things it says about the rescue swimmer, this rookie, they gave him the option. Do you you want to stay and maybe try this or do you want to go? And all it says in uh, in the report was, uh, the rescue swimmer said his prayers and jumped in. And that's what Jesus did. He jumped in. He saw, he knew how hard, how difficult it was going to be and all the things that he would have to endure. And at Christmas, he jumps right in. Do you? When those times of difficulty or disappointment come, maybe especially at the holidays when it's kind of like, I don't want to go there again. It's just awful. It's hard. That person that you know you're estranged from for some reason or another, will you move towards them? Like Paul is calling Timothy to do, Christ Jesus came into the world, allowing a Christmas kind of love to fill us so that a Christmas kind of love will flow from us. And notice lastly what Paul says here, this, this third phrase in this wonderful sentence, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And we don't necessarily like that term. And here's the reason why our hearts sometimes kind of rebel against that term. It's because if we try to diagnose ourselves, if we try to diagnose our hearts and our condition, listen, if we try to do it on our own, we will always, 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 always get it wrong. We'll tend to think that we're better than we are. We'll tend to think that we're stronger than we are. We'll think that we're we're very good compared to others, and so there's nothing for us to worry about. Listen, we always misdiagnose our condition. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now let's just pause and step back to the graveyard at the Atlantic. 
Can you just imagine those guys going down underneath the surface of the ship and looking down and seeing them water and saying, well, I guess a little water in the ship won't hurt anybody. Or what if they said, you know, well, I guess, you know, if, if the ship goes down, I mean, uh, you know, we're only 400 miles from shore, and I learned to swim when I was a kid, so we'll be all right. Now listen, we, we tend to think, well, that's crazy, and it is. But anytime we think, well, I know there's some stuff in my life that shouldn't be there. I know I can be selfish, but it's no big deal, because I'm basically good. I basically do enough that I think God's pleased with me. Um, and listen, apart from his grace opening our eyes, we will always misdiagnose our condition. And we, we may do it in a few ways. We may be irreligious where it's just kind of like we, we don't care what God says. We do our own thing. Um, we overestimate our own strength. We underestimate the power of, of the darkness that's in our own hearts. Uh, it might be the fact that we're very religious, Okay. Uh, that we are great with saying, hey, I love morality. I love the religious ritualism. I love the fact that I'm better than other people because I go to church and I sing all the right songs. I'm very religious. Or it might be that we're just indifferent. It might be the fact that we see this text and we say, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And we can say, come on. Why don't you stop with all this sin stuff? Why do you have to say it all the time? I'm basically good. I pay my bills. I mow my grass. I'm good to my neighbors. I try to do good at work, as good as I can. Why do you have to keep on bringing up this sinner stuff? Listen, if any one of those categories is you this morning, I I really want to say this. Christmas will be fun for you. I, I hope it's fun for you. I hope that it's a blast. You get to see people that you enjoy, that you get some presents that you really needed, okay? Christmas will be fun, but it will not be good news to you. It won't be good news. Because you don't see your condition as 400 miles out to sea and hopeless and helpless unless someone from above comes down and rescues you. And what Paul is telling Timothy is here, he says, look, Timothy, I know you're beginning to doubt and to fear and want to run. But let let me tell you my story. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I, I am the foremost. Timothy, I, I thought I was so much better than everybody else because I kept the law. I went to church when I should have gone to church. I sung the right songs. I memorized practically the entire Old Testament. I was from the right tribe. I was of the people of God. If you disagreed with me, I had you murdered. I killed so many innocent people. And I was in charge of being responsible to kill those who named the name of Christ because they were a problem to my religion. And God saved me, Timothy. When I was 400 miles out to sea, hopeless and helpless, unless someone come down and rescue me, he did. Timothy, he came into the world to save sinners. And I'm one of them. And I'm the worst. And so Timothy, if you can see God transform someone like me, there's hope for the people and the situations that you're wanting to run away from.
Because God and His power and His grace can rescue them. So here's the thing. When it says that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, what this reality of sinner means is you're 400 miles out to sea. Nobody or you cannot rescue yourself. And what Scripture is very clear about is that because we've sinned, we've, we've gone over the boundaries that He has made in love for us to lead us to the path of joy, but we've tried to find it somewhere else. When we've ran away from Him, what we deserve are the winds and the waves of God's wrath and justice to roll over us forever and to drown under the incredible burden of an eternal curse. And Scripture says you can't rescue yourself from that. You can't be moral enough. You can't be good enough. You can't go to church enough to rescue yourself. Someone must come down from above to rescue you. And Christmas says he did. He came down. Listen, let me just say this. That Christ Jesus did not come into the world to save the exceptionally moral. Physically, though, or outwardly, though the Pharisees might have been clean, inwardly, they were sick. Jesus did not come to save the upwardly mobile. The ladder of success can never get you high enough to lead into God's presence. Jesus did not come to save the doctrinally faithful. Your doctrine may be straight, but your heart can still be crooked. Nor did Jesus come to save the unusually sacrificial. Paul will say later on in 1 Corinthians, give away all you have and have not love, then it is nothing. Jesus did not come into the world to save the exceptionally moral, the upwardly mobile, the unusually sacrificial, or the doctrinally faithful. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. The bruised and the broken, the fallen and the failed. People like me, they were running in the total opposite direction of him. People who had hurt every single other person in their life, who had rejected God, or were indifferent towards him, and deserving of nothing but his justice. Christ Jesus came into the world to save. And listen, there's not a person here in this room that God does not long to save, long to rescue, long to come down once again by his spirit and grant you the joy of a new heart. So here's the deal. We, might, we misdiagnose our condition. We diagnose our condition wrongly. Scripture diagnoses it accurately. Sinner. And then it points you to the remedy. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. You still wondering what happened to those three guys? So here are those three guys. Rescue Squirmer jumps in. They had a half hour window before they were going to run out of fuel. So they had to get them all within a half hour. So here he goes. He goes down and he gets one of them takes them up uh, on the cable. Gets another one, takes them up on the cable. Third one, he can't find. He has to go somewhere uh, underneath, inside the boat, where all the water is coming in. That person was trying to help out in the engine room. Can't find them. 
Uh, He's running out of energy. Uh, The helicopter's running out of fuel. And finally, he puts the guy, finds him, uh, puts him uh, connected to the cable, lifts him up to the helicopter. But listen to this. Helicopter's hovering at 90 feet above sea level. How high were the waves? 90 feet. This man almost got crushed on the bottom of the helicopter because the wave lifted him up so much. But they got him in. Through that process of the cable going up and down and up and down, it started to fray. And so here's the rescue swimmer, and they began, they began to tell him, you might not be able to make it. We might have to leave you here. Go fuel up and just hope that you make it long enough that we can come rescue you. They put him in uh, the basket connected to the cable. They have to fly 100 more miles. They can make it to Bermuda. And here's the deal. Through all the waves and all the wind and all the storm, the cable held. And he made it. He made it. Everyone was safe. You see, the reason it says that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners is because when Jesus came down and rescued us, there's a very real way in which his cable did break. And he did fall into the winds and the waves. The waves and the wind of God's justice and wrath that we deserved. Drowning under the burden of the curse that was ours. That's where he went on the cross. To be consumed for the justice that we should have been consumed by. But yet, because he was consumed by it, we have rescue. We have mercy. And so I ask you this morning, just just simply... Have you received that rescue? Has the Spirit convinced you and convicted you that your right diagnosis is that of sinner? And your only hope of remedy is if Christ Jesus came into the world to save someone like you. I encourage you. Trust in Him this morning. Say, I cannot save myself. I need to be forgiven. And I need to be rescued. And you'll find that he'll do it immediately and joyfully. For those of you who have accepted that rescue, do you see the kind of sacrifice Jesus made to enter into the difficulty? Do you see the kind of sacrifice that Jesus made to enter into our storm, our struggle? When we're filled with the Christmas kind of love, a Christmas kind of love flows from us. Do the people around you experience that? If in some ways they've made life difficult for you, if in some ways they've disappointed you, are you someone who moves towards rather than away? Where are those opportunities during this Christmas season where we can say, there's an opportunity for me to serve, to enter into a difficult situation that someone else is in so I can help them out? Or maybe a difficult situation with a relationship that for one reason or another has been strained and to say, if Christ Jesus came into the world to save me, and he didn't delegate responsibility or run from difficulty, now because his spirit lives inside of me, I'm moving towards. I don't know how. I don't know exactly all the ways I'm going to do it, but at least I need to make movement forward. It's the joyful news that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Uh, We thank you for a world where people far out at sea can be rescued uh, amid storms. Lord, our hearts are even more grateful that Christ Jesus entered into the world to save sinners. 
We thank you that that's the message of Christmas, that we can never separate Christmas from the cross because the purpose of Christmas was the cross. Because you loved us. We thank you for giving your Son for us, Holy Father, and showering mercy upon us. Would you do that now as we come to the Lord's table? In Jesus' name, amen.